0: Welcome back into the long-awaited, newest installment of the Card Chronicle podcast. It's been a, a long, long, long time. It's been about three months, I guess, since our last episode. But we're back. We have actual, real, tangible sports things to talk about. That's exciting. Uh, Mike Rutherford here with you. Joined by Keith Wynn today, deputy editor over at Card Chronicle, uh, football guru. A lot of good football stuff to talk about. But before we get into any of that stuff, Keith, you got two young kids you've got the, the job that requires you to be in the office. The world's gone to hell. How are you holding up before we talk? About it?
1: You know, honestly, it's it's kind of a kind of nice. I, my my work setup is, is a little bit unique because I'm away from most people. I have kind of a separate facility that I'm, I work in. So it's me and just a handful of people on my team. And I kind of have, have my own office. So that's kind of actually ideal for having to work through this whole thing. You know, as, a, as an essential worker, I work in logistics and whatnot. So that part of it is kind of kind of nice. Uh, my wife was home for a while, and she's back at work being a nanny. So she's around the same people every day that are also kind of, you know, working from home or, you know, working in offices that are at home and whatnot. So that's a plus. So that's that's the positive. Uh, so I've kind of had it a little bit nice from that standpoint, obviously work being able to keep my job and all that is obviously great. But, you know, the next thing up is, is school starting back up. So I've got a – we've got a decision or or I guess maybe a more preparation for that with, with school starting back up here pretty soon here out in Oldham County.
0: You sound like you haven't
1: lost your mind
0: completely, which is a, a big positive these days. So I'm pretty proud of you. You sound great.
1: It's it's nice. I mean, really, I, I've, I've told you, I'm like, I have one of the most unique situations I think of anybody I know because of because my work situation is more normal. But believe me, like if I worked in like a more crowded setting, I'd probably be freaking out more because I'm I'm you know, I'm a pretty big dude. I have some health issues. You know, I don't really I'm not really too keen on being around people right now. And, uh you know, you have to trust everybody to do what they're supposed to do. And I don't trust anybody. So you know, <laughs> it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of nice being about myself most of the time. I, I deal with mostly like two or three people outside of my household. But I can trust those two or three people from working with them every day. So that's the good thing. And then we've made it a point to try to do as much as possible to like, you know, once things open up, going to places with outdoor seating where we can sit by ourselves and actually be outdoors and like get away from from the kids for a little bit. Uh-huh. So there's some pluses there. But yeah, I'm definitely I think I'm with everybody. I'm ready for this to kind of for things to improve in some way, which God knows when that's going to happen. So. Keith Wynn officially over the coronavirus. I think that's the uh, the, the title of the podcast. He he doesn't like the of just having stuff going on that you can just kind of keep your mind off of like real life. I guess you can say, um, and I think that's a hard part. Uh, and 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 you know, like I said, it'd be it'd be kind of nice to have that. But at the same time, I guess for me, like there's some I don't want to say it's a positive. It's hard to saying it's a positive, but the good things that have come from this is is you know kind of the the more the focus on family time and appreciation and you know me and my daughter have had like some really good talks about her growing up not being more than just the pandemic and all the all the social issues we have going on so that's been something that for me at least it's been it's been nice but it it would be it's it's kind of nice seeing some sports coming back and having something different to talk about uh but it's just been it's 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 very it's very odd is kind of the the word i use but Um, you know, hopefully, like I said, you know, the hard thing now is that, you know, I want sports back just like I think most people do, but, you know, there's so much going on with the health aspect of it. And can they do this, you know, and make it right? And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing, we're seeing it in action. I mean, I think, I think every sport is kind of just going with the mindset of we're going to get this done and wait till something kind of of catastrophic happens, I guess, and hopefully that that doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, like I said, there's some, Trying to find a way of making it uh, spin it into a positive has been different, I guess. But, you know, maybe hopefully we'll have some 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 more somewhat normalcy in sports back here soon. Yeah, I've never been in a situation
0: uh, – I mean, I guess people, you know, in wartime have been in this sort of place. But where I'm trying to envision – what two months from now is going to look like or what October is going to look like. And it's it's almost impossible. I mean, I don't think we could have visualized where we are now uh, a few months ago. And so trying to preview college basketball games or college football games just feels so trivial. And uh, uh, we're going to try to do it because hopefully we're all in a much better place once the fall rolls around. Hopefully the current plan that the ACC has laid out and that other conferences are going to lay out can wind up coming to fruition and can be a a safe way to make this all happen and then maybe we'll get basketball and maybe we'll get the spring sports and maybe we'll uh, have beaten this thing by next spring and and we'll be moving on and we'll feel good but for right now it's just all so still so weird but uh, we're going to try to get back to a little bit of normalcy as Keith said uh, today talking about the big news of the week which is the aforementioned ACC plan to have uh, not just football, but they came up with a full plan for False Force. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to focus on football because I think it's the uh, uh, a paramount interest around here. And th- the biggest thing is that we're going to have one division. We're going to have 15 teams. Notre Dame is going to be a part of this. We got the new schedule. We know who Louisville is going to play. If you haven't seen it just yet, uh, we-, we got a quick post up at, uh, about this over at Car Chronicle. But if you haven't seen it yet. Louisville's going to host Florida State, Miami, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. They're going to play road games at Notre Dame, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and Virginia. The big takeaway there, I think, is has been that Clemson not on the schedule this year. The only way that Louisville would play Clemson would be if they met in the ACC title game. So we'll open it up with this. Uh, just keep basic thoughts on this. I think the, the reaction from most Louisville fans has been a positive one to this. The schedule seems to be pretty favorable and I think a lot of people like the idea of this 15 team you know conference no divisions two teams play in the final for the conference title game it seems like it's even though it's a one-year deal it seems like something that maybe could gain a little bit of steam if it winds up being successful this fall
1: yeah I I do like the one division um I think overall Louisville's schedule kind of I, I don't I'm not as, you know, gung ho on the, hey, it's way better. It's way easier. I think it's, I think it's definitely a little bit easier. Um, I think that losing Clemson is obviously a plus for anybody. I mean, you know, that's, that's obvious, but I, I, I do think that NC State, in my opinion, was a team that's getting them first was a huge plus for Louisville. Uh, I think they're going to be a little bit improved from last year, but I still think that nowhere near where Louisville should be. So I thought that was a a very, Favorable uh, part of the schedule. Um, I don't know that adding Miami is definitely a plus. You know, the, you know, I remember that game pretty vividly last year, and I don't know that Miami is going to take a big step back. So I think that that's something that, you know, as much as I think that was there was some flukiness to that game, I don't know that there's anything to say that Louisville is going to be better than Miami this year. Uh, but I do think that uh, Pitt and Georgia Tech, those are two teams that I could see Louisville matching up really well with. Georgia Tech still in the middle of a rebuild. Uh, and then Pitt can easily win 10 games next year or two, like just like every year that nobody ever knows what they're going to really bring to the table. Uh, I think their defense is okay. I think their offense is okay. And I don't really see them, you know, there's nothing about them that says, Hey, yeah, this is great. Or, you know, not great. I think it turned out better, but I don't, I don't know that it's like, you know, I think I've, I've seen some people talk about playing an ACC championship just based off the schedule and, I don't really see any difference from what it was before, other than uh, I really think you got to look at you know North Carolina and maybe in Miami and how they shake out. And I think North Carolina is really the team that Louisville has to kind of worry about when it comes to finishing second or third in the in the ACC now.
0: Explain to me that like, I've read the North Carolina previews. I remember watching that a couple times last year, but is the North Carolina hype justified? It sounds like you're buying into it.
1: I think so. I think the big question with North Carolina is how good could their defense be? Um they they've they just they didn't know they didn't necessarily recruit as well on that side of the ball similar to Louisville uh, where they had more offensive weapons and defensive weapons. Um the big thing with North Carolina is um can their can their, their secondary be better? Can their pass rush improve? They're pretty good at linebacker which uh Chas Surratt, And uh, they've got some a couple guys on defense, but their offense is just unbelievable. They've got Uh, their receivers are just a bunch of guys that essentially Gunnar Brewer recruited down there and then they're all doing better now, they have a better offensive system. Uh they have Phil Lebo, I think is their offensive coordinator, guy from uh Ole Miss, he's just a you know, one of those spread guys, hurry up and then you've got they just got so much talent on offense at the skill positions that with you know, when you have those wide open, fast paced, you know, spread offenses, um you know, typically you get maybe one or two skill guys that really help you out there, and they they can really you can really do well. I mean, they've got like four or five receivers that could probably start for most teams in the ACC, and you have Sam Howell with a with a full year under his belt. Um, you know, two good running backs. I think that they're kind of the perfect blend of a really good offense, a really good defensive coordinator who now should have a few more pieces to work with, and and that's one thing that I think. People point to Mac Brown and and how good he's done. I I, I still don't think he's really doing all that much. He's more of a figurehead to me. Their coordinators are two of the best I think the from a combination standpoint in the country. Um, you know they've got Lebo and I think uh, Bateman. I might be getting his running wrong. Guy came from Army. Th- those guys are really good. They're they're both former head coaches. Uh, they're both going to be head coaches at the at the power five level at some point. So when you have that and then you mix that in with the talent that was left over, I think one of the reasons why you had to fire Larry Verdor is that he actually had talent. He just didn't do anything with it. So now I think they they, they should be a lot better. And um, I haven't checked out their full schedule, but I, I think I was considering them to be able to win their, their division before they changed the schedule in the first place.
0: All right, let's talk about uh, Notre Dame cause I think that's the other big takeaway, at least nationally, from the news that came out uh, on Wednesday. Notre Dame going to play in this conference, they're going to be – Uh, I mean, I guess a quasi ACC member that can win an ACC championship without technically being uh, a member of the league, which seems kind of bullshit to me, but whatever. Uh, The the good news for ACC fans is that all television revenue for the 2020 season, including those Notre Dame home games that are on NBC, are going to be shared equally by the 15 programs. There's a part of me that Notre Dame's kind of like the, the, the longtime friend who in high school started dating the really hot girl and just like – refuse to hang out with you anymore, like wouldn't respond to your text, kind of strung you along. And I think there's a part of you in that situation when she dumps his ass and he starts being like, hey, let's hang out. Like, where are we going on Friday? You want to be like, fuck you, man. Like, like you can hang out by yourself at home. You can go play UConn five times and Liberty five times, and we'll see you in, uh, you know, 2016, but, um, or 20, I forgot what year it is, (laughs) 2021. Um, But uh, it sounds like this is actually going to be, as long as it's just a a one-time deal, It could wind up being kind of a cool thing. Like I was thinking about the the prospects of, you know, Louisville going to South Bend and playing Notre Dame in November if that's when that game winds up being scheduled and, you know, having a chance to win a spot in the conference title game with a win over Notre Dame on the road. Like that would be a really, really cool thing. Um, And and as long as it's just kind of a a one-shot deal, I think it's actually kind of cool. I mean we're a part of the first Conference that Notre Dame's been a part of uh, in its college football history. That's just kind of a it's a unique situation. I'm kind of okay with it as long as we, if we're going to do this long term, we work out more of a, a full commitment. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame being a member of the ACC for this season?
1: You know, I I I never I, I'll, I'll be 100 honest. I never really paid much attention to the whole. The conference affiliation Notre Dame and whatnot, because I, I've just—it's been so silly and weird that I've just kind of given up on trying to understand it. With basketball being a full member, then I guess baseball is, I think, also. But, but it's never made sense to me. But for this year, I think it's a—I think it's a plus because it's going to allow—it's um, going to—it makes the schedule a little bit better. It makes—it allows them to play as many games as possible if they're going to get there. I think that's a, those are positives. And like you said, I think being able to beat Notre Dame and potentially help that boost you into a ACC championship game is really awesome. I really do think that's going to be cool. It's going to make the game that much bigger. Uh, and that's, the, that's the, I guess that's the plus of it. The Notre Dame game for everyone is bigger now because it's all about being able to win the conference and you have that opportunity with one division. So for this one year, I think it's great. I think long-term it can actually help if the financial aspect of it works out with the NBC deal, um, you know, like it is this season. So, I guess for me personally overall, I think it's a positive. I just don't, I definitely don't like the idea of it just being a one year, de- one year thing and then them just going back to just being the way it was. I, I just don't think that's really right in, in the whole scheme of things. Uh, but for one, one year, I think they kind of got the best situation they possibly could. If they, if this was going to be, a, you're not going to get any money out of this. I, yeah, that'd be, that'd be awful. Um, but I think at least they're getting the cut of the NBC deal. Um, I think somebody, I think I saw Brian Fisher with, uh, I think he did the math on it and they're overall losing out a little bit, but they would be losing out more without them. So I think it's a plus from that standpoint, but I do hope that it turns into a long-term full, you know, like I said, I like the one division thing. I think they can, they can go with what they're doing right now going forward and, you know, change the amount of games and whatnot. But I think it's a good idea what they're doing this year to kind of go with it. And it might be 10 games. Uh, that, that might be what they go with down the road. Um, but I, I, think this is way better. I think it's just much, the, the schedule looks m- much more fun with all of these conference games as opposed to, uh, some of the bye games they're doing, even though I understand how important those are to the, to the way college sports work. Um, finding a way to pull that off will be great, whether it be two of those games and then the, your, your rival game. Uh, that might be the way they'd be able to go, but however they figure that out will be great. Uh, and I think that long term, they just need to make sure I think the way that it should be that you can't go back to exactly the way it was before next year. I just don't think that's right for the rest of the ACC.
0: Yeah, if Notre Dame won a conference title in its one and only year as an official league member of any – like, whatever league we're talking about, I don't think I could take it. Like, I don't think I could handle the Notre Dame fans who are like, yeah, we put one year as a conference, fucking <laughs> won it all, don't even need it. Like, I it, that would drive me absolutely crazy. I think – like, I, I would – If they beat you know Clemson or whoever in Charlotte for the conference championship game, I would love it if Swafford just went total heel and like broke the trophy on the stand. Is like no, (laughs) you don't get it. Or if they're like he's like, you can take our bid. I don't know how they're going to wind up doing the college football playoff, but you can have the college football playoff bid as long as you commit to being a member for the next. Like pull out the the contract while they're on the podium. Like make that (laughs) happen. Like make these dudes beg a little bit. Like they they have been so unnecessarily antagonistic about this entire thing for so long and so elitist for a program that really hasn't accomplished anything in the last 30 years like make them beg a little bit Uh, that, that that would be my advice I don't know why we're not making them do a
1: little bit more that's the part that's fair like Notre Dame is is the clout is just so unearned like they haven't done anything in years and I mean the time that they finally got back to the top they got smoked in a national championship game like you can't But that, but that they still carry themselves as if they're elite, and they're just not. And I I don't know. It it does, it does frustrate me because you start, you know, you get into this with even recruiting, and people like, well, Notre Dame has a bunch of five stars. Like, no, they don't. They don't. They don't (laughs) even recruit that well. Like, they're not at all the program that they were. Where now you have the Alabamas and the Clemson's and whatnot, where you just expect them to be at the top every year. Notre Dame gets overrated based on their name every year, and they always settle in in the middle there and it's like why do people talk about them so much they're like Michigan
0: yeah I I think in a weird way it almost helps them like because it's so confusing why they're the only quote-unquote big-name program that doesn't play in a conference that it just like if you're a young kid if you're just starting to follow college football and you're 11 and 12 years old and you're like why isn't Notre Dame playing in a conference why do they have their own tv contract and somebody's like well they were really good in the 1940s I guess it makes you look at them a little bit differently than another program that has that exact same track record. Like maybe that's the solution to Tennessee football's problems. Like they should just not play in a a conference and we'll all overlook the fact that they were really good for a long period of time back in the day and have sucked for two decades. That's actually what Indiana basketball should do. Like they, they need to just stop playing in a conference. Like be independent, make everybody ask why you're doing this and be like, well, you know, we're one of the best programs of all time. Don't look at what we've done since 1987, um, and just pay attention to the fact that we're an independent. Uh, maybe,
1: maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's fair. <laughs> uh, I, let's put this way real quick. I, I I think about sometimes how old I am now, and I'm like, you know, think about, you know, I've got kids that are getting a certain age. I've got, you know, I'm thinking about like mortgages and all these things that, are like, you know, you think about when I first started watching football. Like, was never even a thought. That's how long ago Tennessee was good. Like, Tennessee was my first favorite team when Peyton Manning was there. Like, my first college football team, because I'm, I'm not from an area where college football is a thing. I'm from Chicago. So I watched the Bears until I moved to Kentucky. And Tennessee was good then. Like, when I was a kid, like a child where I didn't even understand football that well. That's the last time they were good. Yeah. And, like, that, people still every year expect, they're like, oh, Tennessee's gonna be back. And it's like, no, no, they're just in, a middle of the pack SEC team now. And that's fine. That's just them. Let's not act like they're anything other than that, though.
0: The weird thing with Tennessee football, though, is like they haven't even flirted with being like nationally relevant at the highest level in, in all these years since the you know the T Martin Peerless Price Peyton Manning days. It hasn't been like we, we've kind of been making fun of Notre Dame. At least they've been to, you know, they went to BCS games. They made the College Football Playoff. They played for a national title. They've at least been on the precipice of something great. Indiana basketball, same thing. They've had uh, number one seeds. They went to the national title game in '02. Like Tennessee hasn't done shit. Like they have been, they have been like six and six. I feel like every year for the past 20 years, and unnecessarily, they always have high – and I'll I'll give their fan base credit. As tortured as they are, like, Nalen Stadium's always sold out. It still is, like, a way of life down there. They still are are every bit as fanatical as they were 30 years ago. They just don't have anything to back up that fanaticism. It just makes them look a little bit sad. Like, start rooting for the basketball team. Like, they've been pretty good. Start – you know, get, get women's basketball back. Do something else besides give yourself to this football team because this football program does not deserve your support at this point. I agree. Anyway, um, any closing thoughts here on the ACC news that we haven't uh, touched on? Um, because I think, it, if nothing else, it just – the fact that there's some real evidence that this is actually going to happen, that we're going to have football, that there is a, a set plan in place, I think has people more excited about anything than I've seen since, you know, the ACC, ACC tournament got called off four months ago.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, actually for me – and. It's funny, I haven't really, as much as I'm, you know, writing about recruiting, following what's going on, I hadn't really put much thought into how they're going to, like, the plan, how they're going to pull off playing these games and whatnot, because, you know, there's, you don't know until they kind of announce something or whatnot, but one thing that stood out to me today was uh, Vince Tyre saying they're getting back test results on their COVID tests in four to six hours, and I think that when I heard Scott Satterfield talk about kind of how confident he was they were going to play, I couldn't really put... That put it together because I was like, you know, if you're not if you're testing players, the the big thing is the gap between the test and the results, and that's the hardest part to to navigate this because it, when you're outside of this bubble situation that the NBA and other leagues have been able to do, testing becomes so key because you know you need to know whether or not someone's sick and they need to be separated from the rest of the the team and whatnot. Well, if they're getting tests back in four to six hours. You know, tying that in with this, it it is the first time I've been like, you know what, from a Louisville standpoint at least, I can completely understand why they're just 100% sold on the fact they're going to be able to play because if you can test a player in the morning and get them – get the test result back before, you know, you're even going out to warm up for a game, that's pretty ideal. So I don't think obviously every school can do that, but at least from a specific to Louisville standpoint – Today was kind of a, a really big shock to me. I didn't, I didn't realize there were any test results back that quickly. And, you know, you can at least envision a situation where this works out if you had that specific capability. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's this is probably the first time, and I'll be 100% blunt, I, I just, I've just been kind of waiting for the big, big shoe to drop where they're just like, hey, we're not going to be able to play this season. But this is the first time I've sat back and said, okay, I can at least envision how it could work. Uh, even though I don't you know, I, obviously from my standpoint I want them to be able to play if people can be kept kept healthy. Well if you can get test results back that quickly, if everybody could do that obviously we the whole country be in a better situation. Uh but from a specific to Louisville standpoint, as a Louisville fan, I mean that's about the best news you can possibly have because it at least gives you a pathway of how they can make that work. How you can potentially test players maybe on a Friday, you know, night, test them again in the morning and now you have results, two results of negatives, so to speak. And then you can essentially on game days be able to say, OK, we know we can keep this guy uh, safe and secured before a game starts, uh, which is the whole goal. the the idea is that everyone going into a game would be deemed healthy to play. So the uh, the the risk of someone getting sick isn't there because everyone playing is healthy. Well, the only way you can really do that is if you actually have a negative test uh, before the game starts, immediately before the game starts, which technically Louisville would be able to do with based off of what Vince Tyre said today. So I think that's really interesting. That kind of, from my standpoint, makes me feel better. I don't know how they're going to do that with other teams and when te- when the team is traveling, uh, but at least from a standpoint of where they are right now, that's something that's a positive that came out of the day, I guess. No, I'm
0: 100% with you. I, I think... Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was – I thought there was no way that college football was going to happen. I thought the only two scenarios were season gets called off, move to the spring, whatever, or it starts on time and then is a disaster after two weeks and then and gets called off. But now – I think the most likely scenario now for this season is that it just winds up looking really bizarre. I know it's – but, but I mean like in just basic football terms. Like we look at the season and it's like Clemson was 7-0 and – <laughs> Number one of the country had been stomping people. How do they lose to pit 38 to three? And we look, we're looking back 30 years from now and we're like, well, Trevor Lawrence and five receivers tested positive for COVID two days before the game and couldn't play. And I think you're going to see games postponed because of stuff like this. You're going to see key players, um, you know, have to sit out out of nowhere, but they're going to, I think th- this is the first time where I felt confident that they're going to play the games. I just don't know exactly how it's going to work out but the, it's going to lead to some bizarre results and I think some bizarre offshoots like we talk about in March the NCAA tournament selection committee looking taking you know injuries early in the season into consideration guys that are back you know do you emphasize the the way a team's playing at the end of the year more than the way they were playing in November what if we have like the selection committee for the college football playoffs saying how do we take COVID into account? Like, 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 Mikhail Cunningham didn't play in week three, and Louisville looked terrible, but he was back uh, after testing negative the next week, and has been fantastic ever since. Like, these are all things that I think are – I think it's just going to be a really strange, clunky four months, but I, I, I think now I'm confident for the first time that they're going to go ahead, and there is going to be actual football, and we're going to have some semblance of a, a – quote-unquote real season and I just three weeks ago I thought that there was no way but that makes me excited Uh, like I'm with you in in feeling kind of guilty about being excited because I still am not 100% certain this is the best thing long term for for anybody involved but as somebody who loves college football and wants to see a season it's I'm not gonna lie and say I'm not excited seeing these games on paper
1: yeah and I think, I think another thing that they could throw a wrench in the season, I think we're going to see, we saw Caleb Farley down at uh, Virginia Tech, uh, one of the top cornerbacks in the country. He decided to opt out and start preparing for the draft. I think we're going to see more of that, and I think you're going to see some of these top teams are going to get hit by that obviously more than others. You, know, you look at Louisville, I don't think there's a player on Louisville's roster that's that's sitting back saying, hey, I feel like I'm a first or second round pick without playing. I'm going to sit out this year. But Clemson definitely has some guys like that. Miami has some guys like that. Um, you know, I think that's something that we, over the next couple weeks, as teams start going back to camp, you, gotta, you know, they, these guys are working out right now, but next week is when Louisville starts camp, when NC State starts camp. Uh, I think the rest of the, rest of the program should be the week after that. You're going to see a lot of guys say, All right, I got a camp coming up. I don't, I'm not even going to risk that. Uh, and they're going to go ahead and opt out probably over the next week or so. And that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, so I think that's something that will be interesting to see how this, Season plays out, and you know, like you said, with how they how the selection committee you know determines that, you know, do they take into account guys that sit out even though it was before the season started? I mean, there's there's so much more, and that's a great point. There's so much more to that that's going to be so interesting as it goes on.
0: And I think that's probably one of the main reasons why the ACC wanted to go ahead and get this out there as quick as possible, because the more time passes with just uncertainty. I think the more likely it is that players say, to hell with this, like, why would I even bother? If, if you're a junior who feels like you're going to be a first-round NFL draft pick or you're a senior who feels like you're going to be a first-round NFL draft pick, if your conference doesn't have a set plan in place by early August and you're not even sure when you're reporting to camp or anything, why wouldn't you just throw your hands up and say, I'm going to spend the next five, six months working out um and the next time I play football it's going to be because I'm being paid to do so. I, I, I think that if the SEC kind of, keeps puttering around and, and is unable to come up with a set plan, you're going to see a lot of those players probably say, look, I don't even know when fall camp's going to start. So I think it was important for the ACC to at least set dates and say, you know, camp starting here. We're going to play games here. This is how it's going to go. This is who's going to play who, and just kind of work out some of the other more minor details a little bit later in the process because I'm sure, I mean, the, I'm sure the U L inside that locker room yesterday or wherever they were, whatever the team has been doing workouts, I'm sure there was a renewed excitement. I think just knowing that there's some plan is comforting to everybody involved because it's tough to prepare. You know, Scott Satterfield's maintained the same party line for four months now saying all we can do is prepare for the season. Like as it is, all we can do is prepare for NC State. That's tough to do when you're reading the news and you're seeing all this stuff happen. But now at least having a plan, I think has to be comforting for him and everybody else involved. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit. We'll move on from that. The other big thing that I think has had global fans excited for the last, I don't know, two, three months, football recruiting. Uh, Keith, you've been covering this for Car Chronicle. You've written recaps for every player who's committed. A lot of people are saying this could be one of, if not the highest ranked recruiting classes in global football history. Is that, is that hype justified right now in your eyes? I know it's an impossible question to answer. I'm still going to make you answer it anyway.
1: <laughs> I think, um, the easy answer to that is if, if they hang on to all the guys that they have right now and add on to it, literally in any way, I mean, they would have to completely just fall out to, to, to not be able to have this be, in my opinion, uh, probably the best class they've had uh, since they've joined the ACC. And I think there's two things to that. There's the rankings, which matter. And, I you know, I'm a stars matter guy. I mean, I, I think that you watch the national championship every year, and the best team's that have the best talent are always there. So that's obvious to me, but I think the bigger thing uh, I think there's that obviously, but the bigger thing to me is how they're addressing the roster balance and filling in needs. Um, so you go back to, I think the best class Louisville's ever had was the 2011 class with Teddy Bridgewater and Eli Rogers and Devontae Parker and all those guys. And I mean, it turned out, I think that rivals at one point re-ranked all those classes and put Louisville's number one. Um, you know, I, I, and it's obvious they have tons of NFL guys out of that class that, that really reshaped the entire program with those guys coming in. But when you look back at that class, it's not just the overall talent of it, it's how they hit at every, at all these different positions. You know, they had guys from corner to safety to linebacker, defense line, offense line, everywhere that turned out to be key players, uh, starters, and NFL guys. I think that this class has that potential from a standpoint of having players that will make an impact all over the field. Um, you know, you have your top guys like Jare Williams and Ben Perry. Those guys will play linebacker and safety, or both will play linebacker. You have offensive linemen at the top of the class. You have a running back that's a four-star player that, you know, passed up on Florida to come to Louisville. Um, you know, you have the receivers. I think Amari Huggins-Bruce is one of the most dynamic players out there. So you have all these guys that should be able to come in and make an impact and like I said, it's a, it's about how they spread the wealth. And that's what we didn't see in the first, you know, handful of years in the ACC. You saw a lot of guys that maybe played wide receiver, or you saw, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Um, but you didn't really see it spread out. You didn't see the offensive line really uh, get, get key guys all over the place every year. You didn't see guys in the secondary every year. If they can do that, and I think this class is going to push that for, for the – the way this program recruits going forward is getting key players, good players, highly talented players, all over the place, and that's how you build a program. When you look at the top teams in the in the country, it's not just that this team, this program gets you know the best wide receivers are the best offensive linemen or of this? They get players all over the field that can really contribute and it helps you when you have guys leave, when you have, you know, you don't all of a sudden have a hole in your, in your defense because all of a sudden, hey, you lost all your good secondary players. We should have guys being able to step in and play, uh, play well there even when you lose guys. And I think that's what they're doing with this class.
0: I saw, I think it was 24 seven sports. They ranked their top 25 recruiting classes for 2021. As it stands right now the other day, and they had Louisville at number 19. I, correct me if I'm wrong, I, we've never had a top 25 recruiting class, is that right? That is correct. So the, the obvious question to you know, recruiting novices like me, people who don't follow this stuff uh, as closely as you do, I mean, is it, is that like a attainable goal? Like, can this class wind up being a top 25 recruiting class when all of said and done a few months from now?
1: I think it's possible. Uh, I think, I think, um, there are probably, uh, there are four, there are four spots left in this class. Um, I'm sorry, three spots left in this class. So they're, they're gonna take 24 players, uh, because they got, uh, uh, KJ, uh, Coyle last week, who is reclassifying to 2020, but that takes away from your overall number you could take. So, your overall 85. So they can only take 24 now, they're gonna take 25 before that. So with those three spots left, there are two main guys that would be, um, that, that seem to be highly likely to at least have Louisville in their final two or three through pe- two or three teams that would take this class like to another level. And that's Prince Coley, who's a linebacker out of, uh, Tennessee. He's a four star kid who's picking between Louisville, Notre Dame, Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma, which just having those, having Louisville within those, that final five is really, impressive when you actually have a chance to get that kid um you know louisville's been in a position of being in the final three or five of some some players of the past but it's been kind of you know hey there, there's a there's not really a chance of louisville actually getting that kid i think they're going to get prince coley personally um you know uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait it'll probably be later this fall before he chooses uh william parker is an out- offensive lineman from tennessee also he's choosing between louisville alabama and tennessee i believe um, but those are the types of players that they're looking at, and those guys are going to be your four-star or your high three-star guys. Uh, they need to get those guys to be able to have a top 25 class, if, if that's kind of what people are looking at. Um, there are some other guys that they're looking at that are a little bit lower ranked that will kind of keep them in that top 30 range, which is fine, at least in my opinion, um, because you know if you're in that range, uh, you're really looking at – what Louisville and, and teams outside your top 15 or so, you really get to what's what's really more about scouting and development. It's not really about how highly ranked your class is, how many four-stars you got. It's not that those things don't matter, but what matters more when you're not getting elite talent is whether or not you are finding those guys that are underrated and whether or not you're developing everyone. And uh, I think that is the key thing in recruiting. I I, I hope that... As Scott Satterfield sticks around, if and when he does stick around for the next handful of years, people see that how he, how they do things is by developing these lower rated guys, these guys that maybe have great speed, but don't have great size or have great size, but aren't necessarily as technically, you know, efficient as some of the other guys. That's what they were able to do at App State. And I mean, App State's had more NFL draft picks the last couple of years than Louisville has, uh, to be frank. So if you're looking at the talent, Um, these guys that do have done a really good job in the past of finding those guys that were for whatever reason under the radar, uh, and then being able to develop them over the handful of years to become NFL caliber players. Um, and I think that's, that's the key because if they can get the talent they're getting in now, which is your, you know, top 30, top 25 type talent, and then also develop those players. I mean, that's, that's what that's. Uh, that's the ideal situation for Louisville football. Um, and we're, we're, we're not going to know that right now. It's going to take another year or two to see if these guys that they've recruited develop and become better players. But if, if Louisville can get that, that is how Louisville gets to be a team where you're playing in New Year's Six Bowls on a regular basis. And we're, as of this moment, as we're talking, they're, they're heading in the right direction. Uh, it's just going to, it's kind of a little bit of wait and see approach to see if, what they're doing in a recruiting trail is going to turn out the way that we expect it to. I personally think it will be that way. Um, and, and, but you know, we still have, have some time to find out.
0: It's wild that we're talking about this. When you take into account, when Scott Satterfield was hired, what was it like 18, 19 months ago, the big question, and it was a fair question. I'm not trying to act like it wasn't. I asked, certainly asked the same thing. He came hyped up as this just X's nose guru. He had a great staff. He was able to land a lot of really highly touted assistant coaches, but He's a guy who was a, he had never had any experience whatsoever in a Power 5 conference. You know, he, he played at App State, coached at App State. When he coached at other programs, it was at a lower level, FIU and, and, what uh, I think a MAC program. And so there were, I think, understandable questions about his ability to bring in the level of talent that you need to compete with the top teams in the ACC and the top teams on your non-conference schedule. And so obviously getting Court to come back was huge. Getting Dwayne Ledford uh, to come on staff was enormous. But all that said, did you think it would be this good this fast? And we don't know exactly where this recruiting class is going to shake out. And like you said, we, we won't know exactly how good it was until two or three years down the line. But it certainly seems like they've beaten out some really uh, high-level programs for guys, high-level programs that we weren't beating guys out for just a couple of years ago, did you think they would be able to have this much success on the recruiting trail this quickly?
1: No, not at all. Like, <laughs> not in any way. like, and I, and I, I think it was a hundred percent fair for people to question whether or not he can recruit this level. Uh, Cause not only, not only from his standpoint, his entire staff, most of those guys were not, uh, had, didn't have the experience at the power five level. Um, not all of them obviously like you said Leford and and Court Dennison coming in Gunner Brewer the same thing but Brian Brown you know didn't really have that experience and and you know Frank Pons and some of those guys didn't have that experience recruiting at this level but one thing that I, I do think that they've shown is, that is extremely important is uh building relationships as, as coaches with high school coaches with recruiting folks with gym owners with all of these guys that are in the circle of players that help you ascertain two things, whether or not this kid can actually play and whether or not he's going to be a good person on your football team. And that's something that I think is kind of gone unnoticed uh, a little bit is that they're also getting these guys that are uh, what you would call quote unquote high character kids. I guess um, you look at some of the guys are getting, they're beating out guys, they're beating out teams that are high level programs from a football standpoint, but they're also getting guys that have like Ivy league offers have offers from schools like duke and vanderbilt and some of those other schools that are you know stanford some of those schools that that really have the higher academic standings and and my opinion on that that i think is most important from a football standpoint is typically kids that have a high academic uh standard and, and do well at school are also just hard workers and it's it's not about necessarily just the football iq stuff because that's important and being able to pick up things it's that you you're Typically, going to get a kid that's going to go out there and work hard every day, and that's what they build their entire program on. Everything is about hard work. So if you're getting kids in your program that don't mind coming to work, coming to practice, and having to go hard every single day and and having that standard that high, you're typically going to get a guy that's going to develop better because that's what development is. You, You go to practice, you get better. That's just, I mean, it's not really rocket science. Well, when you have guys that just don't really take practice seriously, rely on their athleticism more than anything, they don't always develop very well, and that's where you see guys that you might get a four-star kid that just never gets better. Well, that's typically why. They don't really work hard. So typically when you get those guys that work hard in the classroom, they're going to work hard in the football field. I think that's a, a very under, uh, maybe underappreciated aspect of what they're doing on a recruiting trail, and that's gotten, it took a couple years. You know, their first class, they kind of just put together what they could. Second class, they took a couple, you know, they took some shots on guys that maybe they wouldn't now. Now they're really looking at guys that can do it in the classroom, they can do it on the field, uh, that have all these traits. And what's unfortunate is that the big thing that's going to be a question with this, and I think, uh, Andy Staples wrote about this with the athletic the other day. He said that this class is going to be the worst evaluated class in the history of college football because mm-hmm. nobody can see anybody in person. So you have a bunch of, you're going off of junior film. You're going off of, uh, camps from last summer when they were coming after their sophomore year. Some of the little guys in the class, they, they've been able to see them in person, but even a guy like Zen, uh, Maslinsky, who's one of the offensive linemen they got in this class, I think he was six foot four, 240 pounds when they saw him at camp last summer. He's now six, six and a half and 285 pounds. He's a completely different human now that they're, that they would be looking at, um, going into his senior year. And I think that's a good example of what you could be potentially missing. If you're, if you're going off of the evaluation that you put on paper last summer when you had him in for the Louisville VIP camp or whatever, you know, after his sophomore year, you're not going to see him again until he comes on campus. And that's a completely different player. So that's, that's something that probably needs to be, you know, thought about with this whole thing. Um, you also have kids that aren't going to be able to play a senior year. Uh, Illinois just canceled or moved their season to the spring in California. Some areas of California are that way. Virginia. So right now you have Ben Perry and Vic Mullen who play in Illinois. They're, they're now, their seasons are in the spring. I believe both of those guys are early, uh, enrollees. They're, I don't think they're going to wait. So you don't have anything to go off of, of whether or not that guy is still someone you covet the way you did six months ago. So there's so much, this, this, this entire recruiting cycle is going to be so weird in so many different ways, but. Louisville, they're, they're, they're big on looking at the entire picture. They talk to your counselors, they talk to your principal, your teachers, your, your family members, your, your gym coach, all that stuff like that. So I think as long as they're able to do that, they're doing these Zoom, Zoom visits and whatnot. They seem to be really confident talking to the coaches and whatnot about what they've got going. Um, but I think there's just so much unknown because they they love getting these guys there in person, being able to talk to them in person, meet their families. Get the character aspect of it, and they're just not going to be able to do that like they normally do.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about a an offensive lineman who grows three inches and gains fifty five pounds over the past year and a half, but hasn't played a, a game in a year and a half. Imagine being the poor bastard who has to determine whether or not that kid deserves a scholarship. Like it is a <laughs> it is going to be a thankless job for everybody. I mean, we could see. A record number of NFL products come out of you know group of five programs or uh, FCS level just because kids kids improve, kids get a lot better, and some of these kids aren't going to have a chance to show that off uh, over the next few months and are probably going to slip through the cracks. It's a it's a very very strange time. I think we've established that at this point in the podcast after an you
1: know hour of talking. You know what's interesting? The the example that Andy Staples used was Amari Cooper, who played behind Michael Lee Harris and Eli Rogers down there at Miami Northwestern. He didn't get to play until he got to his, you know, junior and senior year because he had so much talent in front of him. You look at some of these big programs in, in Florida and California and where you have these, you know, the top level of talent is so good and every year they're good. Well, those guys that are behind them, they might not get their year. Uh, and it's it's so interesting. I mean, Derek Edwards is a good example down at Miami Palmetto, I think is where he plays. He's like the lowest rated kid on his defense. Like out of like most of the starters, there's there's like a couple of five stars, a couple of other four stars, and luckily he kind of he was able to play as a fifth defensive back most of the time, and he got noticed. But in a in a in a, in a different world, maybe he might have been stuck behind those guys. This will be his year to play, and he might not get that exposure. So it's just it is going to be so interesting, and it's it's to me as a guy who you know loves this stuff, it's it's super fascinating. Uh, because you know, right now it's just something that nobody's ever really gone through. Uh, but I, I do agree there are going to be some guys that just end up playing at FIU or something like that, and, and nobody's going to know how they ended up there. Is because well, they didn't get the you know the exposure like we normally see every year.
0: All right, we're going to have to end with this. I didn't ask for questions today because we kind of did a, a sort of a podcast on the fly. But the one thing that people have have asked me about more than anything else the last twenty four hours is how much we're going to miss fucking with Clemson fans this year over the field storming thing. Um, <laughs> we don't, we're not playing them down there. And every single year um, I let it be known that I'm going to tweet something about how it's so weird. They storm the field after games and then a billion Clemson fans who I guess don't even celebrate wins anymore. They just go directly to Twitter and start right. searching about who doesn't know their field storming tradition so they can just go crazy on them. Like just invade my mentions. I lie. I say that Dabo – um, so that was the first time his team had ever stormed the field. And it's great fun for everybody after a loss. It, it's been fun to do. I was hoping to do it after a win this year because I think that would be even more fun. You know, why are these guys storming in the field after losing? Oh, my God, what losers. Like that would be the, the coup de grace. I think that would be fantastic. But we're going to have to wait. The only way that we can make this happen or the only way that we can turn this into a positive is if we get to play these guys in Charlotte and somehow fans are allowed to attend the ACC title game I would love to storm the field, get back security, and then justify it by saying that we do it in every conference championship game we play. It's not <laughs> win or lose every conference title game we've ever played in. We meet at the conference logo. It's it's, it's tradition, so stop giving a shit about it. It's the only way to say I it.
1: Th- I think it would be even funnier if it was only, like, five people. <laughs> 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 yeah, friends and <laughs> like, family. Like, 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 if they allowed, like, you know, however many fans in but it was, like, you and, like, five other guys just out there, like, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's totally normal, right? Like this, is just jumping around like for no reason. I think that would make it even funnier.
0: That's the only way, like I, I you know, it, that would be justification for me to get a press credential. Like I would never get it again, but if I could get it for like me, you, and maybe two other people somehow, and it would just be us on the field, and we'd be like, no, we, you know, it, it's not a field storm, it's not a press storm. We just we we do this every time we're in a conference championship game. We had to keep tradition alive. Maybe look really? it up, do some research.
1: It would be funny to get to get press credentials and then just, as we're being carried off the field, just hand it to Rockwell. I'm like, yeah, man, we don't need these anymore. It's just, it's yeah, probably yeah. not going to happen, but here, here you go. You can have these back.
0: I've never used a press. The only time I've ever used press credentials is to get in a game. And when I've had to actually do press stuff, like the the pregame show or whatever, I haven't had a press credential. I've had to just be like, <laughs> I'm doing the radio show. Can you please let me up? So it would be nice. This, this would be the last blow. Um, I'm sure we would be people would support us. We'd we'd have support. It'd be fine. Um, So meet at the ACC logo in December. That's the motto for the season. Let's make it happen. Keith, it's been fun, man. Um, For everybody listening who's like, are you guys going to wait another three months before you do one? No, I I promise we're going to make this more regular. We're going to figure out a way to make sure that we're uh, recording at least one or two episodes every single week, hopefully more. And then certainly Mm -hmm. when the season starts going around, we're going to up it back to where we were back in January and February. Doing a bunch of podcasts. So if you haven't subscribed yet, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe to the pod there and you'll get all the episodes. Keith, it was fun, man. Any, any parting thoughts for the people listening?
1: No, not really, man. Like I said, I hope we get a season. This is absolutely great to do again. You know, hopefully we get to do more and you know, uh, it's good to get to talk sports again.
0: With you. Electric parting thoughts. All right. We we will, (laughs) we'll see you guys next episode until then. Go cards.